Um, so uh, if you're here and you're new, we would love to connect with you and get you plugged in. We are a huge family here, and the service is only one part of what we do. We have life groups, we have events, we have men's ministries, women's ministries, youth. Our youth service is tonight at 6 p.m. for those of you who have uh, youth age kids. Uh, we have uh, kids church, and then we have our midweek Bible study on Wednesdays. So there's lots of ways for you to get plugged in, and we'd love to connect with you and get to know you and just um, see where you want to be, where you want to fit in. So you can ask me any questions. I work in the office here, and I also do all the media. My name is Allison. If you're ever asking, say, hey, where's Allison? People will find me. So, <laughs> All right, so let's pray over this offering. Father, we give this day to you, and we thank you for bringing us here for such a time as this. And right now, Father, I lift up um, El Paso, Texas, and the tragedies that happened yesterday with all the shootings and the injuries. Father, I pray for the families of all of those affected, for the community. I pray that um, you will comfort them in this time of grief and mourning and that you will bring that community together and bring our nation together. And Father, I pray for the person who committed this tragedy. Father, I pray for his heart. I pray that as you work on him, that you will convict him of what he's done and that he will repent and turn to you, Father. And I pray that we will not live in fear. We will not live in anger, Father. We give this all to you. Our fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in your love, what we sang today. And Father, we just give all this to you because it's, it, it's mortifying. It's heartbreaking. And we live in this evil world and we just pray against the, the strongholds of the devil right now in the name of Jesus that you will break free. People will break free from that, Lord. And Father, I thank you so much for church at Briargate in this community and this family. I pray that you'll bring uh, Pastor and Linda back safely and Josh and Liz back safely from Wisconsin. And um, I pray over this offering that it'll be used for your kingdom and your glory and that we will continue to grow in our relationship with you and with others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And watch these short video announcements. Hi, I'm Chapman Rick Brown. Welcome to Church at Briargate. We're excited that you're here. If this is the first time with us, please fill out a Connect card found at the back of the seats and drop in the offering plate or put in the basket outside the church office. Here are some events coming up. The sixth grade welcome party is this Thursday, August 8th at 1730. Oh, sorry, 530 p.m. at Pastor Josh and Liz's house. This is for any student entering the sixth grade along with the parents and siblings. Sign up with a simple sign up in the lobby. Yes, parents, they're that old. Our men's breakfast this Saturday, August 10th, from 8 to 9.30 at Mimi's Cafe off North Academy. After breakfast, the men are meeting at Mimi's Cafe parking lot and heading to Stanley Canyon Trail for a hiking day. Contact Pastor Scott with any questions to let him know if you will be there. Let's get on it, men. During our midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 1900, yes, at 7 p.m., Starting on August 21st, we will read and discuss Francis Chan's Letters to the Church. We'll not have multiple copies available at the church, so be sure to purchase your own book. You can purchase your copy at Amazon or at Mardell's, Focus on the Family, and Barnes Noble. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions about Church of Briargate, please email office at cabag.org. Also, check out our website, churchofbriargate.org. For more information and stay connected with us on social media, have a great week. Hi, I'm Francis Chan. I want to tell you about a book that I just wrote. It's called Letters to the Church. And I called it Letters to the Church because when I was done writing, I just thought, this does not feel like a book. It feels more like just what I want to say to everyone after being a pastor for 30 years in America, thinking through like, gosh, we've strayed so far from what the Bible calls church. And it was a, it was a letter where I just thought, man, I, I just want to get us back to what we see in this book. We, we all know it. We all know like what we're experiencing right now is so radically different from what is in here. I mean, in fact, right now, I'm standing in the Jordan River, and I'm thinking about what was it like in the very beginning 
when John the Baptist was here and he's talking about this one who is coming and, and, and how we're, he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals, just the holiness, the understanding of how sacred God was. And I think I look back at my life and I think of all the times where I treated the church as so common. Like it's just another thing. And then I'm, I'm reading in Revelation and I'm, I'm looking at how Jesus speaks to the churches and his message to like five out of the seven churches is you better repent or else. You better repent or else. And, you know, you just get to an age where you think, I have got to take this so seriously. That was one of the strongest warnings ever written, the book of Revelation, of what will happen if we don't get serious about the things of God. And so my heart in this book is not to judge or anything else. It's just looking back at my life and looking back at the way we did things. And I just wrote it thinking, okay, if I were to die tomorrow and go, what would I want to say to everyone from what I understand of this book and what I've experienced in the church for all of these years? And there's just a sense of urgency. Man, it's, it's like if my wife was in ICU fighting for her life and I was out golfing or whatever else, and something would be wrong. And we have to understand, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the bride, the bride of Jesus. I mean, just like you would expect me to be at her hospital at bedside going, doctor, save her, take my lungs, take my heart. Her health is more important than me. Like that's the way we've got to be about the church. Man, so many people have gotten frustrated because the church is unhealthy and they just leave her. And man, you understand that this book is about how Jesus is going to return one day. And you and I, we can't afford to just go about life and not care about his bride. When he returns, I want him to find me just giving everything I've got to bring health to the church. And that's what this book is about. My hope is that you also will see the need to just repent from this casual attitude and treat the church as sacred again. Good morning. <laughs> um, as I said earlier, Pastor and Linda are traveling back from, uh, from General Council that just wrapped up this past week. Um, we are super excited to be able to invite uh, Dan and Kayla Gibson and to have them as our guest speakers this morning. Uh, Dan and Kayla have been married for 10 years and have been involved with Kaya Alpha for all 10 of those years. Uh, nine of those years were here in Colorado Springs. Uh, they served as the directors for Chi Alpha at UCCS uh, the last six years. Most recently, they moved to Fort Collins to join the Chi Alpha team at Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Um, Kayla will complete an internship with Chi Alpha, and Dan will be part of their staff team. Can you join with me in welcoming Dan and Kayla Gibson? Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I trust well. It, it, uh, it's an honor to be here this morning. I was with you uh, three years ago, maybe, came and shared about missions uh, during you guys' mission week. Um, and then I also was, had the honor to uh, preach at your men's retreat, I believe that same year, so about three years ago. And so I'm familiar with some of the faces here, and so it's just a, a privilege to be back here. And I, um, I thank Pastor Scott and his team for trusting me to come and share with you guys. Uh, he gets to live it up in Florida while I'm here, so, you know, blessings to him. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, my wife and I, uh, my family, this is my wife Kayla right here, beautiful wife. It'll be 10 years on the 15th, so we're like 12 days away. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, our oldest, Bennett, he'll be six in October. Uh, Brielle, she'll be four on the 21st here in a couple weeks. And then Brinley is a year and a half. And God has blessed us. Uh, we're so thankful for our beautiful kids. Uh, they are his. We return them to him, but uh, he's entrusted them to us. And so we're thankful for that. 
so yeah, we, uh, we've been involved in Chi Alpha for 10 years now. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Chi Alpha, Chi Alpha is the Assemblies of God's uh, ministry to the secular campus. We believe, or the mission of Chi Alpha is to reconcile students to Christ, to transform the university, the marketplace, and the world. And we get our name, uh, Chi Alpha, from 2 Corinthians 5.20, where Paul talks about how we are Christ's ambassadors reconciling people back to him. And that's where we get Chi Alpha. The X-A is the Greek for uh, Christos Apostoli, Christ's ambassadors. And so we, uh, we love Chi Alpha because we believe it is the most strategic mission field that there is. Uh, university students um, are are in a place of their life where some of those years are some of the most critical years of their life, where they're really uh, shaping who they're going to be. Uh, they're, they're on the campus to learn about truth, discover what they t- uh, believe to be true. They're shaping their worldview. They're choosing their career path. Some of them are ch- uh, meeting their spouse. And so we have uh, these very critical years to help shape these students and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and help shape the worldview so that when they go out into the marketplace and into the communities, they're carrying the love of Jesus and they've been trained in how to make disciples. And so that is uh, the mission of Chi Alpha. And then we're seeing it happen. We're seeing those things take place. Uh, just in December, we had a student who graduated with his bachelor's degree in computer science, uh, also completed his master's and finished that in December and is now starting his PhD in computer science at UCCS. And the school has come to him and said, hey, uh, we would love if you would uh, come and and teach a class uh, here on campus. And so there's a very high likelihood that uh, this former student uh, were on the same campus where he was discipled and discipled other students will now go back as a professor and teach on that same campus and be able to influence students that way. And also recently, uh, we had a student named Dakota. Uh, He came to UCCS as a freshman not knowing Jesus. Uh, But uh, the day we helped freshmen move into their dorm, we met his roommate, Reese. And Reese started coming to uh, Chi Alpha, started coming to a small group, started hanging out with uh, with the guys. And and he started inviting Reese or uh, Dakota to come along to things and Dakota would come off and on. He'd pop in. You know, you'd see him for a few weeks, and then you wouldn't see him for another few weeks. And so he's just in and out. And Dakota ended up, uh, he was going to be transferring to CSU. And we were all pretty bummed because, uh, you know, we felt like we made pretty good headway in this relationship, and he was starting to come around a little bit more. And, uh, and there was no guarantee he was going to get plugged into the Kaiafa up at Colorado State. And so we were just kind of bummed. And then this last fall, I went over to Reese's apartment to uh, help him move some stuff in, and I walk into the living room, and Dakota is standing there. I'm like, Dakota, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then I was really excited. I'm like, oh, man, it's so good to see you. And just due to some circumstances, he wasn't able to get the loan that he needed to go to CSU. He ended up coming back to UCCS. Uh, and he started coming around to small groups, started hanging out with the guys pretty consistently, and... Uh, it was through those relationships with, with the guys in our group and seeing the brotherhood that we have for one another, Dakota decided to give his life to Jesus this last fall at our fall retreat and decided to get baptized. And he shares how it wasn't just the love that he saw that uh, his brothers had for Jesus, but he saw how his brothers loved one another. And he was like, man, I, I want to be a part of something like that. And so now Dakota is, is following Jesus and he's taken up the responsibility that now that I'm a follower of Jesus, man, i got to bring other people along. And so Dakota's now began to invite his friends into the community and has began to disciple them himself. And so that is the lifeblood of Chi Alpha, is we hope to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and carry it on again and again and again. If we do that, we can transform uh, the world. We can transform uh, the world because that's we're reaching future leaders we're reaching legislators and teachers and nurses and business people all there on the campus and so we can change the world through the university campus and so that is uh that is what kafa does and so we've been at uccs the last uh, nine years and recently moved to colorado state uh 
when I first got into Chi Alpha, uh, I, we weren't married yet, and so I was able to go uh, do an internship program and get trained as a Chi Alpha missionary. Uh, and then when we were married, my wife uh, wasn't able to go through the same training. And so uh, this, this year in January, we felt like the Lord was, I don't know, was doing something in our life. We didn't really know what it was. And so we were just praying and talking with some of our leadership. Uh, Nate and Lindsay Bakey, the missionaries we prayed for this morning, actually. They're the CAFA directors at Colorado State University, as well as uh, the directors for our district here. And so just talking and praying with them, I uh, really feel like the Lord was leading us to go and join their team. And my wife will have the opportunity to go through that same training that I have. And so she'll take theology classes and have discipleship training. And so this next year we'll be at Colorado State uh, and really just to get poured into and learn and grow in our capacity to lead and become disciple makers and then come back to UCCS and continue to reach the campus here for Christ. Uh, but while we're gone, we have a, an interim director who's been on our staff team that's going to continue to lead. And so we'll continue to reach out to students uh, this next year. So that's just a little, little uh, snapshot of our life and where God has brought us. And it's, it's so great to follow Jesus because you just never know where you're going to be, where God's going to take you. Uh, never imagined we'd be in Colorado. Uh, never thought we'd go to Colorado or Fort Collins. And so it's just, it's exciting to follow Jesus. It's an adventure. Sometimes it's hard, but it's always good. And so, because God is good. So this morning, it's, uh, I'm honored to share the word with you. Uh, Pastor Scott would, would trust me to come and share with his congregation. And so I'm going to be teaching this morning from the book of Acts. Uh, I love the book of Acts because uh, man, these are, these are real people. They're not just like stories or, you know, that you read that are fictional. Like, these are he- real humans that lived it out uh, thousands of years ago for, for the kingdom of God. And we get to learn from, from what they did, and we get to learn from their mistakes and the right things that they did. And so I love the book of Acts because uh, this was the church. This is, this is you and I lived out in the flesh. And so um, I'll give a brief synopsis. We're going to be picking up in the middle of the book of Acts. So I'll, I'll just share briefly kind of what has transpired that brings us to the story. Um, so Jesus has returned. He's returned to heaven. He's ascended. Uh, he sent the promised Holy Spirit. The early church has uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's beginning to grow like crazy. Uh, but along with that, there's, they're facing a lot of persecution. Uh, Saul, who's a Pharisee, uh, hated the church, was trying to destroy uh, what he uh, what, what Jesus has started. And so he begins to persecute. Stephen becomes the first martyr. Uh, shortly after that, Saul has an experience, an encounter with Jesus on the Damas- Damascus Road and is radically saved. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to use you to reach uh, people for the kingdom of God. And so that's what Paul does. He starts to travel around uh, preaching the gospel because um, that's what that's just what God told him to do. So he just does that. Uh, Peter has a vision uh, from God about the Gentiles and how they have the promise of the Holy Spirit as well, and that they are now going to be grafted into the body of Christ along with the Jews. And so uh, you go a little further, Paul uh, and the apostles, they have this meeting called the Jerusalem Council where they all come together. And this occurs just before we pick up our story. Uh, where they come together in Jerusalem and they decide, you know what, for, for Gentiles to enter into the kingdom of God, it's not required of them to practice Jewish customs. So they don't have to be circumcised uh, in order to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so through prayer and through communicating with one another and uh, being uh, confirmed by the Holy Spirit, that's the conclusion they come to. And so that is we're picking up our story. Paul is getting ready to go out on another missionary journey. And so if you guys have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 36, or you can follow along, have the verses on the screen as well. It says, so after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone with them to the work. 
and there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So right away, Paul's getting ready to set out. And him and Barnabas had gone on a missionary journey already. So they're getting ready to leave. And then Barnabas uh, says, hey, you know, let's bring John Mark with us again. And here we have conflict between two brothers in Christ who love one another dearly and love the kingdom of God dearly. And yet they're at, at odds right here. Barnabas wants to bring, wants to bring uh, John Mark, and, but Paul is not having any of that. He's already seen this scenario played out once before. They had gone on their missionary journey, and John Mark, for whatever reason, gets fearful, gets homesick, decides, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, and he turns and he goes back home to Jerusalem. And it's not just that, but rather... Uh, John Mark abandoned them before they experienced all the hardships. After he left, Paul experienced being stoned and being left for dead. And so Paul has this little bit of a, he's like, he didn't get to experience fully what I got to experience. So why does he get to, I don't want him coming with us on the same journey again. He already abandoned me once. What what makes you think that it's going to be any different this time? I'm not going to babysit this guy. Okay, this guy was a coward. He's a failure. He walked away. I'm not, I'm not going to bring him with us. If he couldn't take it before, how's he gonna, what's changed? How has John Mark changed? And so they're such at odds with one another, they can't come to a conclusion that Paul and Barnabas have to go separate ways. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible doesn't tell us kind of how this scenario played out. And I love reading the Bible because it's like real people. And so I, I wonder if they had this conversation in front of John Mark and how like awkward that would be. Like, hey, come on, John Mark, let's go. Wait, hold on. What are you doing? No, that guy's not, this guy's not coming with us. Do you remember what he did last time? He's a coward, right? Oh, no, come on, he'll be fine. I vouch for him. Let's give him a second chance. No, I'm not giving him a second chance. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And, I'll, you know, John Mark's just sitting there like, this is really awkward. You know, he's feeling great about himself. Like, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't believe in me. But I can imagine that this would have been extremely painful, not just for John Mark having to, you know, hear this played out, but for Paul and Barnabas, right? These are, these are brothers. These are men of God who had traveled together, had ministered together, had seen God do amazing things, had gone through hardships together. And I'm sure there had been a strong bond that had been built between the two of them. And, and, and I think most people can, can relate to this. If you've been a part of a sports team, you, know, you have highs and lows, victories and losses. There's a bond that's built there with your teammates. If you go on a road trip with someone, the things that you see... If you get a flat tire, you get, oh, remember we got that flat tire? Oh, yeah, man, that was the worst trip ever, but, man, we got really close. And so there's, there's these experiences that, that bring us together. But I would submit to you that doing ministry with someone will, will bring you closer together than anything else will. That when you are serving God alongside somebody else and you're fighting for one another and you're fighting for the kingdom, there's a bond that is built there. And I, I think we, we've ex- seen this happen in our own Chi Alpha ministry. Uh, in Chi Alpha, we love missions. We give to missions. We pray for missions. We go on missions. Uh, we've gone to China uh, for a few years, and we go with other university campuses. And so these students from different campuses all go on the same trip, and uh, they're from different cultures, different backgrounds. But, man, when they see each other uh, at retreats and at conferences, you know, years separated from when they went to China together, they talk about the things that they saw God do in China. And they talk about the experiences that they had and the conversations that they had and the hardships that they experienced. Because there's something about walking together with Jesus and ministering together that brings people together more than anything else, I believe. And so here, Paul and Barnabas, they're at odds with one another and they, they can't come to an agreement, so they have to go separate ways. 
And so it would have been extremely, I would believe, hard, really hard for those two to go separate ways. But I think there is some good that comes out of this, right? Barnabas ends up taking John Mark, and so John Mark gets another opportunity to go and minister. And Paul brings along Silas, and so Silas now gets to uh, be discipled by Paul and learn and grow in his own ability to minister. And they also, you know, get to divide and conquer. They get to go separate ways, and more people get ministered to than if just one team had gone out. So it's not all bad. It, it's good, but there's, in ministry and in life, man, there's conflict sometimes, uh, but God can, can resolve that conflict and can still use it for his kingdom, and we see that here. And so to continue on, it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. All right, so Paul, he's going he's gonna to gather this guy named Timothy and take him with him on his journey. But before he does so, he has Timothy circumcised, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense based on what we just read in the previous chapter where uh, they go to Jerusalem and Paul, you know, submits to to the Jerusalem council, hey, people don't need to get circumcised in order to follow Jesus. But here, the, like, the first thing Paul does is has Timothy get circumcised, and it's like, like a head-scratcher. Like, what? seems like Paul is contradi- contradicting himself. What's going on is Paul isn't saying that, Timothy, you're not, you're not saved unless you do this. So it wasn't about salvation, but rather this is about credibility. It says that Timothy was well-spoken. Timothy, there was strong potential in Timothy. Paul saw, like, this guy is a preacher. This guy is a disciple maker. I want him to go with us. But there were some roadblocks that Paul saw, and it was, if Timothy is going to be ministering to these Jews in these different cities, if they, if they know that he's not circumcised, all they're going to see is a Gentile. They're going to see someone who they believe is less than them. And so this is about credibility. Timothy knows that the most important thing is the gospel. It's not about his comfort and what he wants, because that's probably very uncomfortable. But rather, he says, you know what? Whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I don't want there to be any hindrances. So I'm going I'm to submit to this. And this is about creating a platform for Timothy in order to minister to the Jews. And then we're talking about a serious commitment, right? This is... It's no small thing. And so it continues on. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Okay, there's two things here. When, you, when I read this, when I first read this uh, passage, growing up as a kid, I would read this. This one was always kind of confusing to me. Uh, because Paul and 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 uh, Silas and Timothy, they want to go into Ephesus, but it says the Holy Spirit forbid them to go. And you know, I ask, well, aren't there people in Ephesus that need to hear the gospel? Right? Isn't Ephesus a it's a big city? You know, if we can reach the people in Ephesus, then maybe we can reach all the other surrounding. Uh, towns and villages and cities? And the answer is yes. 
And really, when it's talking about um, when it's Asia, it's more talking about what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And so why, why would the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from going somewhere and preaching the gospel? Something that, that's good, that lines up with the kingdom of God, that lines up with what Jesus wants to see happen here on earth. And so why would that be? Well, I think the best way to explain it is that Paul and Barnabas, you know, they, they believe this was, they had, they had a good plan. This is a good plan. It makes sense strategically. If we can reach this city, then we can reach the surrounding areas as well. So we can kind of make that our hub and we can make some disciples and then kind of go out from there. And so it makes sense that way. But really, that, that's a good plan. But ultimately, God had a better plan. He had the best plan. And really, I think we can learn from Paul here. Paul, I think too often as Christians, sometimes we can um, we kind of sit on our hands and wait for God to tell us what to do, right? Lord, I'm just, God, just tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'll just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And Paul, he, he already knew what to do, and that was the last thing God told him to do is make disciples. And that's what Jesus has told all of us. Is make, when, before Jesus returned to heaven, he said, go and make disciples. And so that's what Paul knows. That's what he's going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to make disciples until I hear otherwise. And that's the same for us today. We don't, we don't need to wait and just sit and, until God tells us what to do. Man, we, already, we should already know what to do, and that's to make disciples. So if you're in the marketplace, you're in an office, or you're at a hospital, or you're at a school, or you're at your house, wherever you are, make disciples. And you continue to make disciples. And so Paul's just, he's just going to do what, he's, what, he, what he believes to be the best option until God tells him otherwise. And here we see that happen. God had a better plan. Paul was able to humble himself and say, God, okay, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what you do. Lord, you do know that Ephesus is like a big city. You're aware of that, right? Okay. All right. I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to trust you, Lord, and what you're doing. And so he humbles himself, and he submits his will to Jesus. And what's really important to know is later on, they make, they make a full circle, and Paul ends up coming back to Ephesus. And he ends up being able to share the gospel. And there's a church that, that is established in the city of Ephesus. And so I think what's important here is God wasn't telling Paul no. He was telling Paul not yet. It's like, yeah, we're going to get there, okay? We're going to get there, but I have some other things I want you to do first, okay? I have greater things in mind. And I think sometimes we can feel like that. We can feel sometimes God has called us to something, and we, or we have a, a strong sense to step into something, or into a role, or go to an area and begin to minister, and the door closes. We're like, man, that doesn't, why did that happen? I really, this is a good thing, Lord. I really felt like this is what I was supposed to do. And perhaps God isn't saying no. Some, sometimes it is a no. Not, that's, not what, that's not for you. But sometimes it's, not, it's a not yet. And my wife and I, we've actually experienced this. Uh, when we were moving to uh, Fort Collins, uh, twice now we've, we have gone through the process of becoming foster parents. And, and both times, due to circumstances, we weren't able to follow through with that. And we were doing it again in January. We had gone through the process. We're getting ready. We feel like the Lord was calling us to go to Fort Collins. And... Uh, going up there, we just felt like, you know, being in transition and being in a new house and new community would not be wise to bring uh, someone into our home for that. They need, you know, they need familiarity, they need consistency. And so for them and for us, we just didn't feel like it was a wise move. And so it's really on my wife's heart to do that someday. And so she's like, Lord, why? God, I don't, I don't, like, I really want to do this. I just feel like the Lord's saying, it's not a no. It's just a not yet. There's other things that I have for you, and we'll get there, 
And, and Paul sees that. It wasn't no, it was a not yet. <clears throat> and so it continues on. It says, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul and his party, which includes Timothy, Silas, and now it appears Luke. Uh, Luke was the writer of uh, the book of Acts. Uh, and we see it changed from a they to a us and a we here. So somehow Luke just hopped in their party. We don't see where that happened, but he joins them. And they, cross, they go across the Aegean Sea uh, to Macedonia, and they couple, go to a couple different cities, and then they end up in Philippi. And this is where they have this encounter uh, with this woman. So they go from Troas across the sea over to Philippi. And normally, uh, Paul would go to the Jewish synagogue and would begin to preach the gospel there to the Jews, and then he would go on to the Gentiles. But it appears that there's no Jewish synagogue, and so they just go down to the, uh, the river. It seemed like that was a place that the Jews gathered to pray. And so he's sharing uh, the gospel there, and in this group of women, there's this woman named Lydia, and the Bible describes her as a woman who feared God or knew God. And so basically, uh, she was aware of who Yahweh was, but she had not come uh, to the knowledge of, of Jesus and who he was. And so she's there, she hears Paul's message, and she decides, hey, this is true, and she gets baptized along with her whole family and her household, which would have included all her servants. And so I want you to think about the details about this whole encounter. I love God is in the details when you read, when you read the Bible. Describe, see how it describes who this woman is, Lydia. She's from Thyatira, which if you look, it's not on the map, but it's right where Asia is, the first A. That's about the area of where Thyatira was. She's not from there. But she crosses the sea and is in Philippi. She just so happens to be at the same river at the same time that Paul happens to be at that river, sharing the gospel. And she just so happens to be somewhat familiar with, with, with the God of Israel that what Paul is saying is it's kind of it's speaking to her a little bit because it's familiar enough. She's like, that sounds familiar to, to what I've learned. And because of those circumstances, th- those coincidences, which I don't believe it is, I think this is God's sovereign plan working together for this woman to be at this place at the precise time in order to receive the gospel message. And what's awesome about Lydia and Thyatira is in the book of Revelation, one of the letters that's written is to the church in Thyatira. And so there's a very high likelihood that the church in Thyatira was started by this woman, Lydia. And, and so it's, it's so awesome to see God's sovereignty in all this. God's love, God is willing and able, and he loves us so much to, that he cares about the details of our life, to work it together for us to be in the right place, in the right season, at the right time in order to hear the gospel message, in order for us to hear that God loves us. And when it talks about uh, in, in Paul's dream, he has this dream of this man from Macedonia that comes to him. A lot of scholars believe that this man that came to him in the dream was talking about Lydia, this woman. Come over to Macedonia that you can help us. That Paul was sent there by this man in order to reach Lydia. 
And I've actually had an experience, somewhat uh, similar experience to this. Uh, when, when I first got into Kaiafa 10 years ago, I did my internship at the University of Stanford uh, in Palo Alto, California, and I did not go to Stanford. Let's clear that up. People ask me all the time. I'm not that smart. Uh, but I was able to do my training for uh, Chi Alpha there. And I was sitting on campus the very first day. Uh, I was having lunch with another intern. His name was John. And we're just sitting there talking and uh, just talking about the campus and what we're looking forward to in the year. And um, this Chinese student walks up to us. And uh, I'm thinking he's lost. He needs directions. He needs to find this building or whatever. And so he comes up. And uh, to our, you know, to our surprise, he says, "Hey, can I sit down and eat with you guys?" Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely, sure. Uh, so he sits down. Uh, his name was Frank. That was the English name he'd given himself. His uh, Chinese name was Guo Song Hong, and he was from Beijing, uh, studying at Stanford, uh, getting his PhD in chemistry. And so we were just talking, and uh, uh, through those conversations. Uh, Frank and I started hanging out, became pretty good friends. Uh, we had him over to our apartment for dinner. Uh, he invited us over to his, his dorm. He cooked us some Chinese food, which was delicious. We had to use chopsticks, which we were not very good at. And so it was, it was exciting. It was fun. Uh, but we started talking, and he, he was just really curious about uh, Christians and about who Jesus was. And so we would just talk, and you know, I'd tell him, you know, when you become a Christian, you, you get to enter into this family, God's family, and you get all these brothers and sisters who love one another, and it's just, you get experience joy like you you can't experience without him, and so just talking through that, and one day he, we're having lunch on campus, and he's like, Dan, I think I, they want to be part of this family. Dude, that's awesome. Great. So I got to, I got to pray with Frank uh, right there to receive Jesus, and then uh, about a week later, uh, I got to baptize him uh, in a fountain on campus. Uh, there's several fountains around the university campus, and that's where the Kaiapa does their baptisms. It's right there. And so we just gather around the claw as one of the main fountains. We gather around the claw. We sing worship songs, and we get to baptize people. It's awesome. And so uh, after doing that, a couple weeks later, he was sharing his testimony at Kaiapa. And I didn't know this detail, which is really, I was sitting there, and I was blown away, but he's sitting there standing there sharing, and he talked about how the night before he met John and I, uh, he had a dream. And in his dream, this man came to him and said, hey, I, I want you to go and meet people on campus. And so Frank got up that next morning, and he went and met people, and the first people he met were me and John. And he goes, Dan, I think, I think Jesus came to me in my dream." And I go, yeah, very well could have been. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't in the dream. I can't tell you. But, man, I believe, I believe God loves you that much that he would do that. And because God cares about the details of our life. God is sovereign. God made it. God, I believe God came to him in a dream and said, go meet people. And God made it so the first people that he met were John and I. And it was through that experience, through that relationship, that Frank decided to give his life to Jesus. And now Frank is a professor at Stanford University. And he is now able to influence people for Christ. All because Jesus loves him and cares about, cares about Frank. That he directed him and led him to meet John and I and then have an encounter with him in a real way. And so as I close, I want us to focus on a couple of different individuals from this text. The first is John Mark. John Mark probably felt like a loser, probably felt useless. He had failed before, and that's all Paul saw. Paul saw a coward. Paul saw a failure. And so Paul was like, I don't... Sorry, man, you missed your chance. But God restored Mark. And some of you sitting here today, you may feel like Mark. You were following Jesus, you were walking with him, but then for whatever reason, out of fear, out of pride, circumstances, you got hurt, 
you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I can't, I can't trust God anymore. I can't trust people anymore. And you walked away. It doesn't matter what you've done or the failures you feel like you've committed, the sins you've committed. God can and wants to redeem you and restore you and use you. And that's what he did with John Mark. Paul saw a loser and a coward, but God saw someone he loved and someone he wanted to use. John Mark ended up going with Barnabas, and somewhere along their journey, we don't know a lot about the details, he comes and he, he meets the apostle Peter. And he begins talking with Peter, and Peter begins to share with him all these different stories that he had got to experience with Jesus. And John Mark is like, man, this is good stuff. I'm going to write it down. He starts writing it down, and that's how we get the gospel of Mark. Someone who Paul had written off, someone who was a failure, wrote one of the precious gospels that we have today, the gospel of Mark. And so God redeemed him and used John Mark in spite of what he had done and how he had failed. The second is Paul's willingness to submit his plans to Jesus. Again, Paul had a great plan. We'll go to Ephesus, build a great church. From out from, out from there, we'll, we'll grow and expand and we'll conquer the world. But Jesus had, had other plans. He had better plans. And because Paul was willing to submit his plans to Jesus, say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm going to trust you. Paul went over to Europe and established the church in Europe. And because of that, we have the church that we, we, we know of today exists because of Paul's obedience to the Holy Spirit. Again, it wasn't a bad plan. It was a good plan. It just wasn't the best plan. And the last is Lydia. Her story shows that God loves us so much, he's willing to orchestrate things in our life in order for us to be in places at the right time, in the right season, with our hearts in the right place, in order to receive the gospel message. She had to go across a sea in order to hear the gospel. And so, as uh, Pastor Sam come up, I think all of us can learn, if not from all, at least from one of these, these people, people who have lived out their life and we get to learn from them. Do you feel like John Mark? Do you feel like you failed? Do you feel like you're not good enough? Do you feel like God can't use me anymore? And God is in the business of redeeming and restoring. That's what he does best. That's what he does best. He takes our brokenness and makes it beautiful. He wants to and will redeem you in spite of your mistakes and your failures. Or maybe you're like Paul. You, you're just living your life. You're just kind of, you got your plans. You're, just, you're going with your plans. They could be good plans. But when was the last time you, you asked the Holy Spirit, okay, Lord, this is what I'm doing, but what are you doing? Is there, is there, do I need to make a change of course? Do I need to be doing something different? And the answer may be no. Maybe God will say, hey, keep going. You're doing exactly what I, what I want you to do. You're being faithful and just making disciples. Continue to do it. But maybe God may, would say, you know, I love you, but this is not what I want you to be doing right now. Would you trust me enough to step out in faith and follow me in this new area? Are you willing to submit to him and his plan? And perhaps you're like Lydia, who, like Frank, you never thought you'd be sitting here this morning. You never thought you'd be in Colorado Springs. But due to circumstances in your life and because God loves you and his sovereignty, he's brought you here today. He's worked it out, the relationships that you've built. People have brought you here He's brought you here because he loves you. 
He loves you so much. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants to speak into your life. And he wants you to experience joy like you haven't experienced. So which of these three is God speaking to you about? Which one do you connect with? As Pastor Sam leads us, just take some time and, and really ask the Holy Spirit, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me? And then respond appropriately. If we have a, if you guys have prayer team members, maybe have them come forward and then, uh, man, if you feel like you need to respond and ask someone to help pray for you, do that. I know sometimes the second one is the hard one. <laughs> that one's the hard one. You have good plans and you say, okay, when you ask the Lord, okay, God, what do you, what are you doing? That was us. Never thought we'd be in Fort Collins. We had a good plan, a God plan, but yeah, I feel like the Lord was just changing. That one can be scary to ask and pray about because you, you know, begin to come from places where God says, I want to take you to a new place, a new level. Sometimes we need prayer, we need support from our brothers and sisters to say, yeah, you can do this. You can trust God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, first I want to thank you for your word. God, that we can look at what our brothers and sisters thousands of years ago, what they experienced with you, Jesus, and with your Holy Spirit, and how they, they trusted you, how they made mistakes, but God, how you were faithful to them. And so, Lord, I, th I thank you for your word, that we can learn from your word. And Lord, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters, my friends here this morning those who may feel like John Mark, like they're, they failed, but God, you can't use them. They've made too many mistakes. God, you redeem. That is what you do. That's what you do best. And so I pray for those who feel that way, God, that you would speak life, that you would speak courage into them. And God, that they would know that they can be used by you if they are willing to step out Lord, I pray for those, Lord, who maybe are not in the, in the place and in the direction that you want them to go. They're not in a bad place, but God, they're not in the best place. I pray that those people will be humble enough to say, Lord, what do you want? What do you have for me? And Lord God, if you speak something different than what they're doing now, I pray for courage. I pray for courage and faith to be raised up in them in order to be obedient to what you're asking them to do. Because, Lord, it's hard sometimes. But, Lord, we pray for faith and courage in their life. And lastly, Lord, for those that are here today that may not know you, God, I pray that they would know today more than anything that you love them. You love them dearly. So much so that you've worked it out for them to be here this very morning. Maybe it was not part of their plans, but for whatever reason, they're here because you love them, Jesus. So Lord, as we, as we quiet our spirits, help us to hear your voice and then respond appropriately. In your name we pray.